God bless you and I hope that what I have to share with you today is a help to you and and the Lord really speaks to you. So I want you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 20. And I don't know whether you follow the church calendar or not in any way, whether through your readings or whatever, devotions, but today, as you'll know, even if you don't follow the church calendar, today is the Sunday after Easter. Um, and so I want us to actually visit that Sunday after Easter um, and, and share with you uh, a few thoughts that I believe the Lord's given me on Friday and yesterday. Verse, we begin to read verse 19. Now we're starting actually on Resurrection Sunday uh, and then we'll see later on from verse 24 following. It's, it's the next week. So we're Resurrection Sunday, Easter Day. It's in the evening now. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Isn't that just beautiful? I mean, we could stop there and just meditate on some of those things. It's Resurrection Sunday evening. The doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus can be risen and your doors can still be shut because of fear. I think about that and there's a lot of analogies uh, that we can think of over the last two years with the pandemic and so on. But fear always shuts doors. Always. And fear has been something I have to confess you have struggled with all my life. But the Lord never, ever leads us with the motivation of fear. Now, I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord here. That's a different thing entirely. But God never, ever uses wrong fear to get us anywhere. Because wrong fear always closes doors. It never opens them. But the beautiful thing is, even if you've got fear in your heart, and I thank God for this, Jesus can still appear because he walks through walls. And he walks through closed doors. Now, I don't know the physics of this, <laughs> but he's in his resurrection body and there's something going on that's beyond me. But he's able to walk through the closed door or through the wall into their midst. And isn't it wonderful that he doesn't require us to measure up before he blesses us with his shalom, his peace? All these disciples gathered for fear of the Jews in the upper room, oh, the doors, windows all bolted. And you'd think God couldn't speak to anybody in that disposition. But Jesus comes. Is that you today? Follow on with me. Verse 20. When he had said this, peace be with you. He showed them his hands and his side. Think about that. Peace, perfect peace. In this old world of sin. The blood of Jesus gives peace within. That's the basis of all our peace, isn't it? The blood of his cross. And he shows them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The remedy for all fear, if I could get it into my thick head, is seeing the Lord. Just getting your eyes 
fixed on him. You will keep him or her in peace whose mind is stead or fixed on him. Okay, so we're still, still Easter Sunday night, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Think, think they're getting this? Peace to you. He's saying it again. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Please, just let that sink in for a moment. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's, that's a whole subject on its own. How Jesus came into the world, what he came to do. Your whole Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord has, has anointed me to do all those things, the mandate, the mission statement of the Messiah. Jesus is saying, as the Father sent me to do that, I am sending you to do that. And you have the same authority, you have the same power, because he's given it to us. Wow. And when he had said this, <laughs> this gets better, he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. And we could debate the theology of it all, which I'm not going to do. Was this when they got born again, or were they born again before this? It certainly wasn't Pentecost, because Pentecost hadn't come. But whatever it was, it was something. Where they received the Holy Spirit in a way that they hadn't before. And then, this is another verse of great debate, verse 23. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, only God can forgive sins. We know that Jesus said it himself. But I think what has been spoken of here is the authority that the apostles were given and the church to pronounce the forgiveness of sins through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That because he has died and rose again, we can be forgiven. And we can proclaim the, the confidence that we know that we are forgiven because of what Jesus did uh, in his great sacrifice and rising again. Now, this is where we're going today. Verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my or thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Verse 24 tells us that Thomas was not with them. When all this happened, let me just recap for you from verse 19 on. You know, Jesus walks through a wall. They're all huddled together with the doors bolted shut for fear. Jesus appears to them. He pronounces peace to them. He actually pronounces peace to them twice. He shows them his hands and his side. He breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit in some new way. And then Jesus tells them that they now have authority to go and preach forgiveness of sins to men and women all across the world. Now Thomas misses it. Now this used to be used in some of the circles I was in in church as a fear object to say, make sure you don't miss the meetings. (laughs) You know, because Jesus could show up and look at what you would miss. Now I have to say that, that... the resurrected Christ never ever showed up at any of the meetings that I didn't miss uh, week after week. But um, we we have to be honest with Scripture. We don't actually know why Thomas wasn't there with the other ten. Remember, there was only ten now um, meeting in that upper room. Judas was dead and Thomas wasn't there. So ten of them are together there and Thomas wasn't there for whatever reason. And it's it's notable that... Jesus doesn't rebuke him for his non-attendance. <laughs> he rebukes him for his lack of faith, his faithlessness. I think probably Thomas's absence was due to despondency and despair. He was stuck in Saturday, you know, the in-between day, when Jesus was still in the grave. Alexander McLaren puts it like this, Thomas did the very worst thing that a melancholy man can do. He went away to, think of these words, brood in a corner by himself, and so to exaggerate all his idiosyncrasies, to distort the proportion of the truth, and hug his despair. By separating himself from his fellows, therefore he lost what they got, the sight of the Lord. Think of those words Again, he went to brood in a corner by himself. That exaggerated all his idiosyncrasies. It distorted the proportion of truth. He hugged his despair. I know what that feels like. And he separated himself from his fellows. That's probably why he wasn't there. Now, we all know him as Dining Thomas, don't we? Uh, and if you read the commentaries, some people say that's not fair, and there's a whole debate around that. But um, some go farther to say, actually, his problem was not doubt. His problem was unbelief. And if you look at verse 25, um, it says that the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Now, the Greek verb said is in the continuous tense, which actually means they kept on saying to him, Thomas, but we have seen him. Thomas, we saw him. Thomas, we saw his hands pierced. We saw his side with the wound. And and they're really going on at him. But we saw Thomas. They kept saying, didn't matter. He would not believe. And some point out, rightly so, that there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is an intellectual problem. 
I can't believe. You know, I haven't got the evidence to take that step. Whereas unbelief is a moral problem where you're saying, I will not believe. Now, it would appear that that's maybe more what Thomas was doing. I don't believe it. I'll tell you why in a moment. But it, it would look like that. There was more than just, I can't, I can't believe this. To, I will not, because that's what he, he says. He uses the double negative. He actually says, I positively will not believe. So, so strong. He doesn't even say, well, if I see, I'll believe. You know, if, if I see the hands, if I see the side, then I'll believe. He says, unless I see, I will not believe. <laughs> However, I don't believe it was unbelief. I believe it was disbelief. And there's a difference. I think Thomas wanted to believe. But he just couldn't. And for Thomas, the Sunday after Easter that we're in today was a big turning point. But he felt that he was always after. <laughs> after everybody else he he felt left behind in that respect i don't know whether you ever feel like that but the niv translates that stop doubting and believe the, the new living translation says don't be faithless any longer believe the english standard version says do not disbelieve but believe the new american standard bible says do not continue in disbelief but be a believer so i don't think it's unbelief I think it's disbelief. I've read quite a few commentaries on this the last couple of days. But some of them are so hard on Thomas. And we can be so hard on the disciples, you know. But I think he's to be commended. You know, because he didn't pretend. When he couldn't believe, he didn't pretend he did believe. And I think we as Christians, and especially Preachers are often the great pretenders. There was a spirit of despondency and despair upon Thomas, and he wasn't willing to just put on the face. I think of him as a kind of all or nothing guy, you know. Um, quite black and white, that's not always a good thing, but he's often speaking what other people are afraid to say what they're thinking let me give you two examples of this in John 11 you can turn to it if you want verse 16 Lazarus has died and Jesus decides right we're going to go now and visit Mary and Martha and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead but he has to go back to Judea to do it and the disciples are saying are you mad because that's where the that's where they want to kill you and Thomas says let us go with him that we may also die <laughs> Now what you've got there is his devotion on the one hand but also his despair and his melancholy. You understand? He's, gonna, he's prepared to go with Jesus to die but you know he's living on the dark side always. We'll go too and we'll die along with Jesus. The next time we read of him is John 14 verse 5. and she, I mean this is upper room ministry before Jesus is going to the cross. And that wonderful passage that we so sadly often hear at funeral services, John 14, verses 1 to 4. 
Jesus is saying, believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare you uh, a dwelling place in heaven. And um, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Thomas is getting really exasperated. You know, I mean, you might think they're all sitting there like we do in the pew, just letting it wash over them and giving them great encouragement. And Thomas is sitting there with the steam coming out of his ears. And, and he's thinking, Jesus, just, you know, if you have an expression, show us the baby. Tell us what you're getting at. Stop talking in these terms. We don't understand. Where are you going? And how can we go? How can we follow you there? He's not understanding it. But he's honest enough to say so. So this is the kind of guy we're looking at today. Thomas, sometimes called Didymus. Thomas Didymus. Thomas in the Aramaic and Hebrew means twin. And Didymus is Greek for twin. So twin, twin. Um, his name is Twin, and we don't know who his other twin was. But just perhaps you might feel like me today that you're his twin. Let me share three things about this left behind disciple. This disciple who was left behind and missed out. The first thing is this. Some people get left behind, but that doesn't mean they get left out. I admire Thomas in many ways, but not least because of his hunger and his need for personal experience. Unless I see, unless I touch. Now many people fault him for this. I don't particularly, uh, I know it's not, as we'll see, it's not the ideal. We'll see that later on. But yes, there was something in him that he wanted to experience what everybody else experienced, but he, he felt left behind and he felt that he missed out. Now, a lot of Christians feel like that, especially when you start moving in circles where they keep talking all the time about what they experience with God. And that's wonderful, unless you're a Thomas. And you're thinking, I can't take these stories anymore because that's not my life. I, I, what is wrong with me? And you feel the way I do it sometimes in meetings, you feel like you're on the outside looking in through the window, but you're not actually experiencing what everybody else experienced. Let me let into a little bit of secret. Not everybody's experiencing what they pretend to experience. Okay? And there's a lot of learned behavior in Christian gatherings. A lot of psychology goes on and all the rest. Now, people do experience God, don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of people just doing and sounding the way other people do and sound, and it's not always real. Um. But there is real experience of God, genuine, authentic experience of God. And I, I can testify that there's one time in my life where I felt very like Job. You know where Job goes, I haven't suffered the way Job suffered, Job goes through all those incredible uh, traumatic experiences. We'll not go into them, read the book of Job, it'll cheer you up. And then you come near the end. And what happens is God appears to him. And he's had these theologians and counsellors who try to tell him what God's like and what God wants and all the rest. But then God, God shows up. And, and Job had his own idea of God as well. And Job, Job sees the Lord the way he really is. And we read in Job 42, 5 and 6, listen to this. I have heard of you, Job says to God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And 
I remember reading that in the Good News Bible. That's the one with the pictures in. Um, and it, it really gripped me. In the past I knew only what others had told me. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. So I'm ashamed of all I have said and repent in dust and ashes. I remember preaching a message on that entitled First Hand Experience versus Second Hand Knowledge. Mm -hmm. A lot of us Christians have second hand knowledge, what we've been told in church or what has been passed down the generations. Um, but we don't have actually have a first hand encounter and experience with God. That's what God wants you to have. That's what Thomas wanted. And so he got left behind, but he didn't get left out. He got his encounter with Jesus. And I believe and pray that you'll get yours. And I'm waiting on my next one as well. So that's the first thing to encourage you today. Some get left behind. But if you're left behind, it doesn't mean you're left out. Okay? The second thing is, sometimes those left behind get a special encounter. <laughs> this gets better. Eight days later, it says. Okay? Eight days later, verse 26. That's their way of saying... Uh, a week later now we know a week seven days but they didn't count it that way uh, just confuse you but they counted any part of a day as a full day so for them Sunday to Sunday was eight days because they counted the first Sunday and the last Sunday and so this is now the, the Sunday evening after resurrection Sunday Easter day okay so there's this kind of juxtaposition. They're in the same room, the same guys. The only difference is Thomas is there. And there's girls there as well. But Thomas has showed up for this. But they've been saying to Thomas the previous week, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him. And then Jesus shows up. Look at it. Verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Jesus is amazing in his grace and his mercy. We used to call it long suffering. I mean, it, it basically creates the same scene for Thomas a week later. We'd be saying, oh, you missed it. You missed it, mate. You had your chance. God doesn't always strive. You know, but you should have struck with the iron's hot and all that kind of stuff. And there's a measure of truth in those things. We need to listen when God's speaking and we should really obey. But you know we're human and we don't get it right every time. And isn't it wonderful that we have a gracious Saviour who was prepared to rehearse the same scene with the same guys. And let's face it, he might have been the mouth, but they were all still huddled in the upper room in fear with the door shut. So they still hadn't got the message somewhere along the way. Even though they were there. Oh, we saw. Oh, we had the experience. But they're not much different, are they? And the amazing thing is, then Jesus says in verse 27, he says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my, ha and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Imagine what it was like for Thomas to hear Jesus speak his own words back to him. Think about that for a moment. This is what he said. Unless I see. 
unless I can put my fingers in, in the holes in his hands and thrust my hand in his side. I will not believe. And then Jesus shows up again and says to Thomas, come here. Take your finger. Look at me. Take your finger. Put it in, in the holes of my hand. Thrust your fist into my side. There's so many things we could take out of that. Not least, you may not see Jesus, but he hears you. And maybe you're crying unto God from a broken heart. And you wonder, are the prayers hitting the ceiling? But he hears you. Jesus wasn't physically with the disciples when Thomas said that in all his protestation, unless I see. But he was with them and he heard it. And he repeated it back to Thomas. He hears you. And he sees you. What things have you been saying? What things have you been saying over yourself? I'm always left behind. I never get what everybody else gets. God never answers my prayers the way he answers other people's prayers. You know, what? what is it? And again, this is often used, you know, in a fearful way. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. Be careful, little lips, what you say. Because your father up above, you know, looks down in tender love. It's not very tender, is it? But you, you understand. But Jesus was not, he's not coming over that way. He's saying it to Thomas in such a way as, here I am. For you. Just for you. I've showed up. And I hear what you say. And I know where your heart is. And I know the way you feel. But I'm here. Now, we have to say the Lord wasn't obligated to show up, was he? No. But he's gracious. And so, some of the, I mean, you're, you're, you've heard sermons, maybe on Thomas before, and they're quite harsh towards him. You know, Thomas didn't deserve this. This was unbelief, and Jesus doesn't like unbelief, blah, 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 blah. Who of us here gets what we deserve? I mean, if we're getting what we deserve, we're in big trouble. None of us get what we deserve. And so the Savior is so gracious. Now, we ought not to presume upon his graciousness, but the fact of the matter is, Thomas got exactly what he asked for. And remember the Old Testament in the book of of Judges, Gideon, who I also identify with a lot, but Gideon was fearful, threshing wheat behind the wine press for fear of the Midianites. And God appears to him in an angel and says, You're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon, I, I imagine he's thinking, Who are you kidding? A mighty man of valor. But that's the way God saw him. But God had told him, You're going to be the weapon that I'm going to use to defeat the Midianites, the enemies of the Lord. The sword of the Lord and Gideon. And yet Gideon says, right, if what you say is true, I'm going to put out a fleece, a woolen fleece, the sheep's coat, and I want you to make the fleece wet and all the ground around it dry. All right? And the Lord did it. He says, right, okay. 
this is what I want you to do now, if you don't mind. I would like the fleece dry and the ground wet. And God did it. Now, did Gideon deserve that? No. Should Gideon have needed it? No, because the Lord already told him that he was going to do this. Just as the Lord told the disciples he was going to rise again and the disciples witnessed it apart from Thomas. So had they a right to it? No. Am I advocating that this is the way we should behave? No. But I'm just saying that this is the way our God is. That he often condescends to our greatest weaknesses. And it's just as well or we're all smoked. Thomas probably didn't get what he thought he needed. What did he think he needed? Unless I see, unless I put my finger in the holes in his hand, unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas thought that's what he needed. Jesus showed up as if he was giving that to him. But it actually doesn't say that he, he touched anything. Look at verse 29. Jesus actually says to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Which might infer that he didn't need them to touch his hand and his, his, his side because just the sight of the risen Lord was enough for Thomas to fall at his feet and say my Lord and my God so come with me here okay what are you saying that you need God to do for you okay the Lord is hearing that and the Lord might come along and repeat that back to you but he might know that you actually don't even need that and when he shows up you'll realize that yourself I know I'm talking in conundrums for some people, but you can work it out if that applies to you. He didn't need what he thought he needed. The Lord knows what you need. So some get left behind, but it doesn't mean they get left out. Sometimes those left behind have a special encounter, like Thomas did a week later. But the third and final thing is sometimes those left behind get a greater revelation. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, didn't even touch him, he just saw him. He falls at his feet and he says, my Lord and my God. And the two words, titles used for Jesus there are Kyrios, which means Lord, and Theos, which means God. And both of those terms are used as divine titles. So be under no illusion what Thomas is declaring here. You are almighty God risen from the dead you know so if you have any doubt about the dead of Jesus Christ this should completely satisfy you and Jesus didn't say oh Thomas get up get up get up you're getting that wrong that's not who I am that's blasphemy get up get up he didn't he received it but I want you to see this the one that the other disciples were exasperated at because of his unbelief and the one that the commentators continually criticize for his doubting is actually the one that seems to have gotten a hold of a revelation that the other disciples hadn't got yet. Isn't that amazing? How one moment he's left behind and the next moment he's getting a bigger revelation than the rest. 
John Boyce, the Puritan, put it like this. He acknowledged the divinity he did not see by the wounds he did see. I like that. He acknowledged the divinity that he didn't see because of the wounds that he did see. Now let me conclude this all to encourage you today, hopefully. If you have felt left behind or today you feel left behind, I'm not wanting to give you this as advice or a reason. You know, This is not a reason to get left behind all right, and to stay behind. But there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, that says, The Lord waits that he may be gracious to you. You're not going to miss out. You're going to have your special personal encounter. And you may well get a revelation that no one else has had yet. But let me tell you the best way to live. Verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the Lord's last beatitude, at least when he was on the earth. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. It's not by sight that blessing will come. It's not by the experience of seeing Jesus, but it's by faith. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I'm not saying that you, no one could ever see Jesus today. That's not what I'm saying. But, but what First Peter 1, verse 8 and 9 also confirms is, Peter says, Whom having not seen you love... Though now you do not see him, yet believing, that's the key, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we heard this morning about joy unspeakable. You don't see enough of it about in the church. I don't experience enough of it in my own life. But I've just realized even today looking at this verse that it's through believing It's not through primarily experiences, but it's through believing that we experience joy unspeakable and full of glory, even though we haven't seen the risen Christ. So we need to lay aside unbelief or disbelief. Now this is a fact, isn't it? We don't all get to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ in physical form. I'm not saying you may not have seen Jesus in a vision or a dream or something like that, but We don't generally, all of us, get to see the risen physical Lord Jesus Christ standing in front of us. But we don't need that. All we need is his word. All we need is his promise. I hope I'm getting this across to you. It's not that we don't have evidence. I'm not saying that at all. Our faith is based on empirical, historical evidence, fact that Jesus lived died, was buried and rose again, that all the apostles lived, that the scriptures were written. Uh, They are fact. We have the witness of the church. We have our own personal experiences of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our life. But we don't actually need to physically see Jesus to know. It's through faith. In Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the, what? Evidence of things not Sing. And so the apostles said, You must believe our word, the apostles' doctrine. First John one one to four, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that also you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son Jesus Christ and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. How do you get the joy? You get the joy by believing that. By believing his word that he great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, that Jesus came, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. And you don't need to see Jesus to believe that. You don't need to see physically Jesus to know that your joy is full. And what a fitting way to end John's Gospel. The faith of Thomas. It becomes the climax of this book. What was the purpose of John's gospel? If you look at verse 30 and 31, you see it was in order that everyone would believe. That everyone believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing they may have life in his name. In the gospel of John, Jesus triumphed over sickness. He triumphed over sin. He triumphed over evil men, demons. He triumphed over death and sorrow. And now at the very end, he's triumphing He's conquering Thomas's doubt. His insecurities. His inadequacies. And he's speaking peace. Irrespective of his questions. And his confusion. And his complication. He pronounces shalom. Over Thomas. Stop becoming faithless, Thomas. And become a believer. Give up your unbelieving disposition, your disbelief. And believe. Let's pray. I've brought this message to you I've never preached it anywhere else it's fresh brand new for you because I believe the Lord led me to it I believe there are people here today that feel left behind you feel you're on the outside looking in well the Lord wants you to know you're not left out and he has got special encounters for those who feel left behind he's got special revelation for those who are left behind and he wants to walk through your walls of fear and insecurity today and he wants to pronounce his peace over you and I pronounce the peace of Christ over minds over hearts over souls over spirits over even bodies today I pronounce the peace the shalom of Christ over you I asked you Father that you would breathe the Holy Spirit as Jesus did over this company today to bring your peace I pray that this group of people today will see the pierced hands and the wounded side of the Lord Jesus And that they would be glad, satisfied, 
happy, contented in seeing the Lord. But Lord, would you move us on a little bit to the place where even if we don't see or feel or touch or hear in a physical sense, that you will help us to not disbelieve, not doubt, but make a choice today to choose to believe. Against all hope to hope. And to put our faith in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, we pray. And if there's anyone here today that has never taken that step of faith in Christ for the first time, that this would be their time. But thank you, Lord, that you're the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, and to the power of whatever chance, because you're the God of grace, and you're the God of mercy. Come to us again, Lord, we pray. No matter how many times we missed out and we held back and we never showed up, would you come again, Lord? Reveal yourself to us. Risen, Lord Jesus, standing in our midst. Take a moment to compute that, please. The same invisible Christ that was standing in the room that day and heard those words of Thomas. That invisible Lord Jesus is here, standing with us. And he sees you. And he hears you. And he knows you. And he knows what you need. Will you fall at his feet today? And say, my Lord. And my God.